This is the Wealth Ability for CPAs show. Better clients, better practice, better life. Here's Tom Wheelwright. Welcome to the Wealth Ability show for CPAs, where we're always discovering how to get better clients, create a better practice, and have a better life. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of the Wealth Ability Network. So choosing the right clients really can make or break your business. I know a lot of us in the accounting world, we're like, oh, just any client is good. But that is not the case. Better clients really make for a better practice and a better life. And how many times have you heard somebody jokingly say, or not so jokingly, this would be a great business if it weren't for the clients? I mean, there would be no business if it weren't for the clients. So today, you're, we're going to discover how to make sure a client is right for you and how to communicate with the client. I'll get back to this in a second. Now I have something specifically for CPAs. What if you could discover a simple way to double your profitability in the next 90 days without adding any new clients? That's right. Whether you're a CPA, tax advisor, other tax professional, accountant, bookkeeper, in my newest resource, I will walk you through a simple five-step process that's proven to help you do just that. We have members of our network that have doubled their profitability in 90 days or less, and you can do this too. Now, to get your free copy, just go to wealthability.com slash CPA profit. That's wealthability.com slash CPA P-R-O-F-I-T. Get this new resource so that you can double your profitability in the next 90 days. We are really, really fortunate today to have an expert, Shelly Rose Charvet, and she is uh, an absolute expert in working with people from a words. She goes, words matter. Words that change minds is her, is her book. And Shelly, it is great to have you on our podcast today. Oh, thank you so much, Tom. So would you give us just a little bit of your background, just so that we understand where are you coming from? Sure. Um, I've been working with uh, organizations for, I added it up, it's frighteningly over 30 years, well over 30 years, to help them understand and influence their customers. And part of that, as you said, is to know who your clients need to be. Who are the best people to work with? And also, how to have an influence, how to increase your impact. And uh, the third edition of my book, Words That Changed Minds, has just gone to the roof. It came out in April. And in August, Forbes Forbes chose it as their uh, first book in the list of best management books for entrepreneurs and executives, which is, you know, just such a thrill. That's fantastic. And it's all about, yeah, it's, it is fantastic. And what my work is about is the fact that we live at different places. So, for example, when you want to persuade someone or have an impact, most of us do it from our own point of view with the way we think and with the way we get convinced about things. And all of my work is about helping you go to the other person's bus stop. So how do they think? What's important to them? What are the triggers that are motivating them? And then from their bus stop, how can you invite them on the bus? You can't make anybody get on your bus, but how can you invite them on the bus in such a way that they want to go on the bus and then you can take them somewhere that's going to be helpful for them and helpful for you. So th- this is a so that's it in a nutshell. 
Thank yeah. you. So this is a fascinating concept uh, um, about getting into their minds. I, how do you know what they're thinking? How, you know, what kinds of words can you use to pull out? How do I get to their point of view? Well, the very first thing to do is to ask good questions that help you understand where they're coming from. And the first question to ask is, uh, it's kind of a double-barreled question, but either write down the answers to this question or find some way of remembering them because they go to the heart of what's motivating this person in the context that you're working with them. And that the question is, well, what do you want or what's important to you about this? So for example, with an accounting client, what do you want um, in your, the financial services I can offer you or the financial accounting services that I can offer you? What's important to you about the service that you get from me? And the person is going to reveal words from their heart and their gut. And you'll, you'll know that these are the most important words and the most important concepts because they'll repeat them and repeat them. I mean, this happens every day in conversation. You can think that you met someone's needs in a telephone call, but they seem to go round and round again in the same loop. Well, if somebody is repeating a set of words and phrases, it's because it's meaningful and important to them. And the best way that you can demonstrate that you have figured out that these things are important is to repeat those back to your, to your client. So what you really want is somebody who's reliable and gives you good data and on time. Is that right? Is there anything else? So right away, the, the client knows you want to know what's important to them. So that's the what of the matter. So, so I used, I've, I've uh, told this story before. Um, I'm not a big fan of pickles. This is the U S pickle, uh, pickled cucumber. And, um, uh-huh. and so I, I find that if I go to a restaurant and I have to ask to have the pickle taken off the plate, that they will never do it. Almost never. But if they ask me what I want, I will always get what I want. And so that's a, right. to me, that's just, you know, really hit home one day when, you know, I actually made a pretty big point of not having a pickle on my plate. Um, you know, the problem with pickles, of course, is that they're social animals, right? They infect everything. So if you don't like pickle juice, it's, I mean, it's in your sandwich, it's in your French oh, fries. The, pickle juice, get the juice goes DNA everywhere, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's everywhere. And there are like 20% of the public doesn't really care for pickles. And yet they always put a pickle on the plate in the U.S. That's pretty typical with the sandwich. They always put a pickle on the right. plate. And, uh, and so I just, I started doing this experiment, you know, and, and, and really anecdotally what happened was, is if, if they asked me the question, would you like a pickle? I, and I said, no, I would never get one. So to me, that was really uh-huh. in, informative that, look, if I'm doing, you know, if I'm asking the right questions, I love this point. If I'm asking the right questions, what is it that they want? And we, we typically start with in a perfect world, how would this work? In a perfect right. world, how would we serve you? And um, and I love that you know the idea that you know we, we like to hear we like to hear what we think, right? Yeah. Now here's the there's a problem with this. There's two problems with this. So let's say you ask your client what's important to you about the accounting services we're going to offer you. Uh, what is it that you want or don't want? Well, they're going to give you kind of a list of things they thought. And there's two problems with it. You don't necessarily know out of all the stuff they said which is stuff you're just supposed to say. 
and which is stuff that is particularly meaningful to them. So you need a way of, you know, separating uh, the most important stuff because sometimes a very demanding client will come up with a list of 15 things, but they're not all of equal importance. And then secondly, um, when a person says, well, I want a reliable service that I can count on with accuracy. Well, we don't know what's behind that. Yeah, like, what we does don't that know mean? what their definition is. And the easiest way to get someone to explain that to you is not to ask for a definition, but just to use something I call the curiosity noise, which goes like this. Oh, uh, can you give me an example of something that you did, what was, which was exactly that kind of, or something, a service you got that was exactly that kind of reliable? Uh, because most people, if it's really important to them, tend not to be overly articulate about defining it because it has an emotional resonance. But they can give you an example if you use exactly their phrase. Well, what, so that will help you see what they mean. So it, it seems like that could be helpful in two ways. Um, one is you're getting an example from them, but then it allows you to then give your own example. So you can say, well, so is it like this? I mean, do you, do you ever do that to actually mirror it back with a, with an, another example so that they understand that you understand? If you do that, my suggestion would be to do it after you've tested their own phrasing. Because one of the things we've learned uh, since the 80s and 90s, like I started as a communication trainer, conflict resolution uh, trainer in the 80s and 90s, and everybody was teaching a technique called active listening. And right. active listening is when you paraphrase in your own words, what someone just said. And we've since learned that paraphrasing does not create the depth and kind of bond and rapport and credibility as actually demonstrating you heard the person's words. And everybody can experiment with this. Get into a conversation with somebody. Uh, summarize their words by using exactly the phrases they used. And then paraphrase and watch the difference in acknowledgement. Like if you get someone's words exactly right, they will give you a big nod and confirm what you're saying and maybe even add on. Whereas if you paraphrase, they look quizzical, their eyes maybe go heavenward, and they're trying to see if your words kind of fit with their words. It's a lot more work for them. Whereas you can have much more, uh, you can have rapport and credibility much quicker if you demonstrate you really picked up on the words that were important to them. So in your case, it would say, I would say, yes, use your own examples. So that's what the words you use. And do, but do it after you've done theirs. Got it. Got it. That's, uh, that's interesting. So it seems like, and I'm, I'm thinking now about hiring employees. This would go with recruiting as well, right? That as what well, as, as far as what does the employee want to me, the, you know, finding, um, finding the right clients is even, is a little easier even than finding the right employee. And so how do yeah. you, how do you do that? If you're in a recruiting situation, which is really, it's all a sales situation, right? I mean, whether it's a client or yeah. a, an, an employee, it's, it's all a sales situation. How do you do that when you're in that recruiting situation where they're actually trying to sell you at the same time you're trying to sell them? Well, um, okay, I'm going to use this technique right now. So demonstration alert. So how do you use this technique right when you're in a recruiting situation? It's important to start before that. Because, and, and here's the bad news, you need to do a lot of preparation to get the right uh, set of candidates. 
And one of the things to do is to look at knowledge and skills, which you can do, and experience, which you need. And all those are fairly standard. There's lots of ways to do it. But then the second level is to look at fit. And you can even decide what would be the most important values for someone to have around their work. And that question, what do you want, what is important to you, brings up what people value. And values, the definition of values is that which is important. So you can say, we want someone who is dedicated to the best interests of their clients. Now, they may choose to say it differently, but when you're talking to people, if you don't hear anything around best interests of clients, you may know that maybe this person isn't there for you or uh, making sure I've double, triple checked my work so it's perfect. Maybe that's important. So you can go through a list. So that's about values, but it doesn't give you all of the other things that you need to find a good fit, both for employees as well as clients. So for example, one pattern that's very typical in accountants is a pattern that uh, we call away from. And that is, and this is not a personality trait. It's about, it's a motivation trigger, which means that You can have one trigger at work and another trigger at home or another trigger when you're on holiday or a different trigger when you're uh, grocery shopping because it's contextual. But the away from trigger is when someone automatically notices problems, two kinds of problems, problems that haven't happened yet but are on the way or problems that have happened and need to be solved. And so they are in their head figuring out how to get away, move away, solve, fix, prevent, avoid problems. And in accounting, one of the important things, if I've understood correctly, and please, Tom, correct me, it's really important to avoid making mistakes. You have to have radar for stuff that's not right. So although you're trying to meet the goal of uh, fulfilling the client's needs, what you're really trying to do is prevent them from being audited, uh, prevent them from having negative consequences of their uh the finances of their business being uh, badly handled or their personal finances, et cetera. So you want an accountant who, or an employee probably who has more of an away from pattern in their work than a toward pattern. And you can pick this up in a conversation or in a task. So, so you talk about away from or a, a toward that's, this is fascinating because, um, so we, um, well, ultimately, we started its network of CPA firms uh, around the world, and we're, we actually always focus on the toward as opposed to away from. So we're actually, yeah. we're actually in, in, the, yeah. in a very different world mindset than a lot of the accounting world, which is in the away from. And that, that brings up a really right. good point is that if, if what you're looking for is the away from then, then that's what you're looking for. You're looking for people who are, are, are wanting to, you know, are focused on problems. If you're looking at the towards, which is the, really the way we look at it. I mean, I, I wrote this book, Tax-Free Wealth. It's about looking how to make the tax law work for you instead of worrying about the IRS. It's actually, let's make it actually oh, work. Oh, I'm interrupting you because you're doing both. Tax-free is an away from headline. It's about tax. It's saying what you don't have to deal with, what you don't, what problem you don't want. Interesting. So even your book title is a little bit away from. And your explanation was both toward how to have this, that's what you want, what you want to get, without having that. That's away from. Yeah. So you're, Interesting. 
you did with your books. You spoke out of both sides of your mouth. <laughs> now, you know, if you're talking to a room full of people, obviously there's going to be some people who are moving toward in the context of the meeting and some are moving away from. It's a good thing to speak out of both sides of your mouth. But if you're trying to recruit someone who is great at problem prevention and avoidance and fixing, then you want to use ads that use away from language. Are you are you a great problem? Like, let's say, I want to give another example. Medical doctors, they're mostly away from. You never go to see your family doctor and have your family doctor say, hey, what are your goals for your health? I mean, that's not going to happen. Your family doctor right. says, okay, what's up? What's the problem? Let's see if we can fix that. Let's see how we can cure, heal, get away from that, right? Or prevent it so it doesn't happen again in the future. Right? It's a problem-oriented field, and so with accounting. It's either you know preventing, so that's the strategic aspect, and then it's other levels. I mean, at some point when you get up to you know corporate strategy, then it's more toward where you're going to see how do we, uh, what is our vision, and how do we enact that. But in the day-to-day world of accounting, many clients and many accountants are there to avoid having a problem. Sure. So let's say that there is a problem. So let's say that you have, um, they have a big tax liability that maybe they didn't give you all the information um, this time, you know, end of the year when you could have prevented it and they waited until, you know, March uh, to give it to you and you have, you're filing these tax returns. How do you deliver that bad news? Right. Oh, that's so glad you asked that question because one of the things I have in my book is something called the bad news formula. And it is specifically designed to help you deliver bad news and reduce the upset that it's going to cause. But you can't expect someone to be happy to hear bad news. So if everybody's got a, a pen or a pencil, you can write this down right now. Here is the bad news formula. You start with the bad news. And then you use this great, powerful word, and it's the word but. And lots of people don't like the word but because they say, it gets rid of what comes before. It doesn't exactly get rid of what comes before. It reduces it. So you start with the bad news, and then you say, but, and then you say good news and good news and good news. So you need to find three positives for the other person. And, of course, the first objection people have to the bad news formula is, what if you have no good news? You find something. So you say, the bad news is you're going to be paying more taxes because uh, uh, information wasn't submitted on time. But now that we know about this, we can make sure it doesn't happen for next year, and we can set up right away some dates and some deadlines in the calendar to make sure the right information goes to the right people at the right time, and you won't have to deal with this in the future. So what do you think, Tom? Would that be a way of communicating that? Well, I think that's great. It, it points out though that <laughs> your, your first point, which is when you're looking for employees, they need to be really, really prevented, preventative because what you'd like to do is prevent that bad news and do everything that you can yeah. so that you can say, you know, give the bad news early enough. And this is one of the things we always say, you know, if you're going to give bad news, don't give it the day before. Okay, it, yep. it has to be acted on. Give it three months before. Yeah, it has to be give acted it as on as soon as you can. Right. But use the bad news formula because in the in the good news part, you can give people a strategy for dealing with it. 
Oh, and the formula totally. is one piece of bad news to three pieces of good news. Now, I, right? That makes the bad news more palatable. I like that. Now, one of the things that I think is a mistake, and I'd like to hear your opinion on this, um, Shelley, um, is when they say, well, the good news is you made a lot of money. I'm going, that's not good news. I, I, I don't think that's good news. I mean, you know, you're saying, well, you have a lot of tax, but the good news is you made a lot of money. So, you know, it's because you made a lot of money, you have a lot of tax. I'm going, that's not good news. The good news would be, yeah. the good news is we figured out three ways to reduce this, th that tax for next year. To me, that would be the good news. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely right. I mean, people are not stupid. They know they owe taxes, and the more money they make, in theory, the, the more money they actually owe in taxes, in theory, unless you're using all of the allowable deductions, et cetera. Um, and in Canada here, we I'm sure you do too, we talk about evasion versus avoidance, right? right. And we all know what side of the equation we mustn't be on. There's the away from, as opposed to the one That's we must right. be on. Um, so... I would never say to a client, the good news is you made, I agree with you totally. The good news is you made lots of money. I would say this is the time for the bad news for me and say, you owe more taxes this year because you made more money. But as soon as you say, but the person knows something different is going to happen. They just got a piece of whopping bad news. And now you're going to say, but we have a strategy for making sure you're protected in the years to come. And I want to explain it to you, and I want to set it up so that we can make sure that your results and liabilities next year are much more palatable. I seem to like the word palatable today. So if you play that back to me, I'm going to apparently be happy. <laughs> so you like it to be palatable. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, today I do. It's palatable. Okay. Palatable is the word. The word of the day. Palatable. Good. So <laughs> let me let me go to one other thing that is a really big issue, I think, um, in the accounting world, in part because we're dealing with negative news to begin with, right? I mean, we're dealing yeah. with taxes. Yeah. Taxes, by definition, are negative news, and uh, which is actually why I did that with my book was <laughs> tax free. It turns a ne I want to turn a negative into a positive, but it is negative news, and so. When, and and we're not always going to be perfect, and we're going to make mistakes. We're going to have. Um, we're not going to be, we're, we, I mean, you know, you talk about being perfect, perfect and you want to avoid mistakes, but we're going to make mistakes. I mean, that is a fact of life. We're going to make mistakes. So yeah. how do you deal with that? When, when a client has a complaint, okay. And I, I actually would like to ask you two different pieces of that one is the complaint is in your mind unfounded, which we know in the client's mind, it's always founded. But in your mind, it's unfounded. Right. And two, where it's actually, yeah, you made a mistake. How, how do yeah. you deal with yeah. that? What so words do you use? Um, I think there's two different things about that. And, and I think, can I, I want to go one step behind your question as well. Like one of the things you just said is that tax is bad news. Like people want to avoid tax. Now, that is true at a certain level because we don't want to, pay things out of our pocket like we feel like it's being taken away from us it's a whole emotional thing about the right. whole baggage people have about money at the same time you know as part of being a citizen in a country you pay taxes it pays for infrastructure it pays for schools roads blah 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 so at the same time if the client is doing that you are not helping them face the reality of what's going on so you may disagree with him because I don't really know what was in your book, 
but it, if you leave the client with an inaccurate uh, understanding of something, it's very easy to get on their bad side because your role is to help them minimize taxes. And if they're if it's allowed to not have to pay taxes under a system of rules, it's a rule-based thing. And if the client thinks your job is to uh, get rid of their responsibility as a citizen, you know what I mean? Is that you have to be careful how far you go in there. And I'm not quite sure what your message was in your book, but of course, if you can legally be tax-free, um, from which, which the you way can, yeah, which I'm sure is possible. Um, that's one thing. Now, let's, can I get to your question? Sorry. So that was my little diatribe on that. Sure. I hope it wasn't too unpalatable. No, Sorry. that was fine. No worries. <laughs> so um, let's say it's your fault. The first thing you do is you apologize, and then you use the bad news formula. I made a mistake with blah, 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 blah. But I want to tell you I'm here to fix it, and here is what I propose. And again, three pieces of more positive news about how you're going to fix it interspersed with that. So the formula is always when you've got something that the other person is not going to want to hear, because that's really the definition of bad news, something the other person doesn't really want right. to hear. Bad news, but good news and good news and good news. So that is... No, we, 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 we actually have a, a, a rule in our office that um, I never... I'm happy to hear any problem you've got as long as you've got solutions for it. Right. There has to be right. a solution. And, and I love this formula because it's, okay, here's what happened. Okay, I'm, I'm totally sorry, totally my fault. You know, we call it falling on our sword. Um, you know, we, right. we, we did that. Here's what we've done to prevent it in the future. Boom, boom, boom. And I right. like, I like now, the three to one ratio. I think that's fabulous. Right, and it makes sense. Now, here's a, a little tip with that. If the mistake is really, really bad, you have to spend more time on the bad news part before you get to the butt. If it's a minor mistake, you don't have to spend so much time. So I want to use a very well-known political example. Um, when it was found that President Clinton was having sexual relations with that woman, quoting here, um, and he made an apology, he didn't do it very well in that he skipped, he spent very little time, and, and you can go back on YouTube and find this, he spent very little time on the malfeasance and the lying before he got to, and that's why blah, 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 and he went on to something more positive. If people are really going to be upset and it's a big problem, spend more time there because that's how they feel about it. Remember, we're trying to invite them to come on a bus with us. So you need to honor the upset. So spend more time if it's a big problem, less time if it's a smaller problem. I, I think, Likewise, I think that's a, I, and I'm going to interrupt right here because you used words sure, that I ahead. think are so important. Honor the upset. I think that yeah. honoring the upset, that is so important that you've said, look, it, it is a big problem. It is an issue. It really is something that we need to address. And we're acknowledging that this is, we're not, we're not trying to sweep this under the rug. I think what we do a lot is we try to sweep it under the rug. We don't acknowledge the upset. I, I love that terminology that we honor. We actually honor the upset. That's so much, it's yeah. better than even, you know, I, I, 
then turned it to acknowledge, right? But it's not acknowledged. It's honoring it and recognizing this is a, this is a big deal to you. And we understand that. And you don't even have to say, we understand that you prove it as opposed to saying, I feel for you. You say this caused this thing and it's upsetting and no wonder you're upset. And research shows, at least in the medical field, that if doctors do that, they don't get sued nearly as often as when they don't acknowledge the upset. People are emotional beings. They want you to understand that. I like that. You know, even if you say, and I understand that put you in a difficult position. And you pause, let that sink in. And then you say, but here's what I'd like to do about it. That's great. Okay, so go to the other one where you really don't think you made a mistake and they clearly think you made a mistake and it might even have been their mistake. So how do you deal with yeah. that one? Yeah, I would by going to their bus stop and you can say, this is very upsetting for you. You uh, were not okay with what happened and uh, it's made you feel really upset. Go directly to the emotion and be upset yourself, like not mad at them mad on their behalf. Um, I wrote a second book called The Customer is Bothering Me, and the whole second half of the book is about dealing with upset customers. You always have to deal with the emotion first. Why? And this is going to sound so obvious, but it's not obvious until you think about it, is human beings cannot do these two things at the same time. They can't be upset and logical at the same time. So if you try to deal with the problem in a logical way, when the person's upset, they can't go there with you. So go straight to the emotion. This has been really upsetting for you. Feel it wasn't fair. And you just play back what they're feeling and be upset on their behalf. And if I felt that way, I'd be upset too. Once they've heard you, you can bring your voice down to a little calmer. And then you do. The, then you can do your bad news one, which is, you know, once they've calmed down a little bit. And if, you know what? It takes microseconds. If the person feels you get that they're upset, and you could hear, I've changed my voice tone. Like, yeah, that's upsetting. You know, I'd be upset too if that's what I thought happened. If they, you know, if that was, you know, if that's what happened, I'd be upset too. And you can say, but I want to show you another way of looking at this. And I think it might make sense to you. And I think there's a way out of this issue. What I heard from you is, you know, that it's, it's upsetting to you. I, um, what I, you know, what I heard from you, what I didn't hear you say was any kind of refuting their upset. Rather, again, you honored their upset. Even when, even, e- even, it, even if it was something that you go, wait a minute, that's, you know, your bookkeeper did that. I didn't do that. Even then, you know, we, we still have to honor the upset. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Because once someone's emotions have been honored and dealt with, then they can become logical, but they cannot go logical at the same time they're upset. That's awesome. So Shelly, we are out of time, but that is fantastic. I've learned, (laughs) you can tell I'm the student here. I'm the one that's learning all the time. And, uh, and, you know, of course, now I have to go out and get your books and, and read, read your books. So that's the great thing about these podcasts is I get to meet amazing people like yourself. So tell us again. So thank you so much. So um, I, I love the formula. One, one is the bad news, and then and, and we honor the upset, and then we have three pieces of good news. Is that right? Right. And the formula has to have those little prepositions in between. So bad news, but, the word but, 
good news and good news and good news. Three to one using but plus three amps. You know, when I first uh, figured this out, I put it on a sticky on my laptop. And you know what? I think everybody will find, even with this, just you can use it in email. Um, as well as telephone conversations, and it works. Can I have you got one minute left? Yeah, go for uh, it. I I went around the world uh, teaching a brand new software company that just bought six other software companies uh, how to manage customer expectations, and they were having problems because with their integrating new companies, they weren't meeting their customers' expectations. So I taught them the bad news formula, and then three months later, I hadn't been paid, so I wrote George in payables, and I said, "Hey, I haven't received my check yet." And he wrote me back and he said, dear Shelly, I know you haven't received your check yet, but I'm going to be seeing the VP of finance and I'll put your bill in front of him and um, I'll let you know as soon as uh, he signs off. So you'll know and you'll know when you're going to get your check. And I'm in my office by myself. <laughs> and, thinking, oh, that's nice. and I went, wait a minute. <laughs> Just use so your formula. I wrote him back and I said, I taught you that. And he sent me a smiley back. <laughs> but <laughs> It, it just makes so much sense. Like it's hearable. It's okay to hear this stuff. So, so leave it at that note. All right. So Shelly, where can we find out more about Shelly? So my company is called Success Strategies. You can go to successstrategies.com with only two S's in the middle. Or you can go to Amazon and get Words That Change Minds. It's an audio book. It's available as an e-book and a, and a paperback. And uh, I have lots of people who listen to it on their way to and from work. So it's a good way to learn this I think that's awesome. Thank you so much, Shelly. Um, thank you all for listening. And, you know, uh, pretty simple steps so that we can have better clients and a better practice and a better life. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the WealthAbility for CPA show. Better clients, better practice, better life. To learn more, go to WealthAbility.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.